Hey, this is Pastor Madison. I am so excited that you're tuning in today to the Crosspoint Podcast. My prayer is that this word inspires you, uplifts you, and enlightens you. You can connect with Movement Youth on Instagram at movement underscore youth or the Point College Ministry at the Point College. Let's jump into the message. All right, well, I am excited tonight because before we dive into the message, we have our very own Juliana Bartholo back from Bangladesh. And she is going to come up here right now and share a little bit about her experience while she was overseas. So let's give it up for Juliana. Okay, so these past two months, I had the amazing opportunity to spend some time in Bangladesh. And I can genuinely say that I loved my time there. The people are incredibly sweet and welcoming, and there are things about their culture that I loved, like how they don't ever call people by just their names. Everyone is sister and brother, auntie and uncle, and that just adds to the feeling of how their culture is really community-focused rather than individualistic like ours. I was able to teach a two-minute dance to around 40 ladies while I was there, and it was to the song It Is Well. And I also learned a bongla dance from three of the girls from Utam's Place, which is one of the projects my dad's cousin leads there. But besides the fun things that I'll always remember, there were the spiritual things that weighed heavy upon my heart. The first thing that broke my heart there was on the second village trip I took. One of the ladies I spent a lot of time with who's from Bangladesh told me that some of the people there have never even seen beds in their whole life. They sleep on the dirt. They work extremely long days for very little pay. And the only option they can afford for food is rice, which ends up being unhealthy because it's not good for their main source of nutrition to be carbs. And something I realized yesterday is that our dogs here drink better water than most of the people in Bangladesh. And what hit me hard when that fully sunk in is that if these people don't know Jesus, this is the best life they'll ever have. And this life is so hard for them. And then as I was reading my Bible there, Matthew 9:36 really stood out to me. And it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And when the word sheep is used, it made me think of the story of how Jesus would leave the 99 to find the one. And that's how much he cares about every single person there. And there are over 160 million people in Bangladesh who don't know about him. And that's why we give to Speed the Light. We're supporting the people who are there, showing the love of Jesus to those who have never even heard his name. And I got to see firsthand the impact that Speed the Light makes. Speed the Light purchased the van that my dad's cousin and his family used there. And that van was used to drive to villages so the word of God could could be preached to pastors to encourage them to keep up the good work. And it's been used to drive all over the country to show people how much Jesus loves them and wants a relationship with them. So I just want to pause right here and pray over Bangladesh and also pray over the offering. God, we just lift up the country of Bangladesh to you right now. And we just know that you love and care for each and every person there. I pray that you call people to go there and teach them about your love for them. And I pray that you help us to be generous and do our part so that those people can come to know you. But after all that heavy stuff, I want to end on an encouraging note. I forgot to say amen. Oopsies. (laughs) Um... (laughs) most of my life I've had really bad anxiety and I didn't even admit it to myself until recently. It was to the point where my parents were worried about how I would do because of how everything was so new and unknown. But before I went and while I was in Bangladesh, I gave the trip to God and I knew that I couldn't control anything, but God is in control of everything. And that's so much better. 
And while I was there, I had peace the whole time because I gave all my worries to God. So I just want to encourage all of you to do the things the Lord places on your heart, no matter how difficult you think it will be, because he'll be with you every step of the way. That's just so awesome. I mean, it just it's just cool to have literally a girl from Waverly, Iowa, a part of our part of our youth ministry who just went to Bangladesh for 12 weeks. Like that is just absolutely crazy and amazing. So, let's give it up for Julianne one more time for taking that step of obedience. And let's pray before we dive into the message tonight. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity. Man, these students are so fun and they're just so awesome. And I just praise and thank you that they walked through this door tonight. And I just pray, God, that you would just captivate their hearts. And um, that you would just help help me and, and help the leaders, help the students, and just have your way, Lord. Uh, we just love you so much, and we just want to see you move in a mighty way. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so who can tell me what a disciple is? Who can... And just even a broad term, explain what a disciple is. Who wants to be bold? Savannah, what's a disciple? You say a follower of God? Okay, yep, you're right. So basically, if you look at a disciple in like a broad term, it's just somebody who's a student or they, they are learning from a teacher. Like if we think of, you know, a disciple as a, from a Christian standpoint, we think of someone who follows Jesus. But if you just look at the term disciple, it just means that someone is learning something from another person or they're being taught something. And back in Jesus' time, like when he was living here physically on earth, Disciples were actually very, very common in that time. Like you saw disciples everywhere. Maybe you don't realize that, uh, but there were a lot of disciples. And what happened in that culture, in that Jewish culture, is they, they were very, very religious. Like they were all about laws all the time. And they had these people called rabbis. And these rabbis had to be at least 30 years old. And they would have these students or these disciples that they would take in. And um, it, it's crazy, like this culture, this Jewish culture, they believed in starting to train people at the age of five years old to memorize the Torah, which is the first, basically five books of the Bible and other scriptures. So starting at the age of five, they would start to memorize all these scriptures. And then when they were 15 years old, they either like concluded their studies. So they like, they stopped with all the memorizing and the studying really intensely and they would approach a rabbi who was, again, at least 30, and they would say, hey, can I, can I learn from you? Can I study under you? And the rabbi, if they were the best and the brightest, if the student was the best and the brightest, the rabbi would accept them, and they'd say yes. And so then this 15-year-old guy would study under a rabbi for the next 15 years until he turned 30, and then he would become a rabbi. But... If you were not the best and the brightest, and you did not get accepted by a rabbi, then you would most likely just go into, like, the family trade. So maybe you were a fisherman, or maybe you, maybe you were a, a carpenter, or a craftsman, things like that. They would go into trades instead of being chosen. And what we know is that Jesus, when he turned 30, he basically, you know, he started his earthly ministry there. But Jesus didn't grow up studying to be a rabbi. Jesus did not follow some rabbi for years and years and years until he turned 30. Jesus grew up as a carpenter. 
Do you know that? And he was a craftsman. And so he would literally build things. Like he would build buildings. And what's really cool is that the craftsmen and the carpenters of that time, they were very mobile. So they would like go to construction site to construction site and they would travel for this trade, for this job that they would do. So Jesus growing up got to see all of these places that he was about to do ministry in. And the building that he was doing, the physical building that he was doing was preparing him to build the kingdom that he was about to do in his ministry. Like that's awesome that that was preparing him. And yet... Even though he didn't do the, the typical rabbi thing, he still became one at the age of 30. But when it came time for him to find his students, he didn't sit back on some throne and wait for all these students to come to him and say, hey, can I, can I study under you? Like, am I worthy? No, Jesus, instead of waiting for people to come to him, he went and he found those people. Like He, he went out and found and handpicked the people that were not the best and the brightest. They were the ones that everybody looked, looked over, picked over. And what I think is so cool is that at least we know for sure that four out of the 12 disciples were fishermen. And, and I just find that so cool because God uses your placement and your position to accomplish his purpose. God doesn't have to use you. He, he chooses to use you guys. And you never know what God will do unless you let him use you. You don't know unless you let him. And so we don't know how all the disciples were called by Jesus, but we have a pretty detailed report of how uh, at least four of them were, and those were the fishermen. So it was Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were the fishermen for sure of the group. And we're going to jump into Luke 5. And Luke 5, and if you have your Bible, you can crack that open. Luke 5, it says that Jesus was standing at a lake, and there was a crowd that wanted him to preach. They wanted to hear the word. And Jesus saw two boats, and so he just hopped in one. I don't, I don't know if you guys realize how weird that is, but he just, he just saw two boats, and then he just, he just hopped in one. He just got in one. That would be like someone after youth just hopping in one of your vehicles and expecting that they can just drive away with it. That's what Jesus, he hopped right in. And then he asked one of the owners after he hopped in that boat, he said, hey, uh, thanks for the boat, by the way. Uh, can you give me a push? That's what he said. Can you give me a push? And I don't think we realize how big that, that is right there. Like, we, 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 we read that story and we skip over it. The very thing that made, it was Peter's boat, by the way. The very thing that made Peter weak, the very thing that he had to do because he wasn't the best and the brightest. He had, he had to be a fisherman because he wasn't good enough to be a rabbi. The very thing that made him weak, the very thing that, you know, he made him not the best and the brightest is, is what Jesus chose to use. And this is big because that boat was probably really smelly and really dirty because we find out later that those men, those four boys, they were out there all night trying to catch fish, and they were probably exhausted. They probably hadn't cleaned their boats yet. It was probably just gross and disgusting. The very thing that made them look weak was the very thing Jesus used to show his strength, and he taught from the boat. So he got in the boat. They pushed him out. He taught from the boat, and then when he was done, he said to Simon Peter, one of the fishermen, he said, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And if it were me, I'm just telling you, if Jesus would have told me that, I probably would have had some attitude. Because that would be like you playing in a basketball game and you just missed like 20 like shots straight. Like you just, you keep trying to make shots and it's not happening. And the game gets down to just a few seconds left and then your coach draws up a play to give you the ball to shoot it. Like that seems like... 
nonsense. Like, that does not make any sense at all. So I would kind of be offended. I'd be like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, are you, are you joking right now? But Simon answered, this is Simon Peter. He said, Master, we worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'm going to let down the nets. And, guys, this is big, too, because Peter, he could have had all the excuses in the world. He could have refused. He could have said no. He could have told Jesus all the reasons why. This isn't going to happen. This isn't going to work. He could have given up hope. He could have been insulted, but he didn't. And then in verse 6, it said, when they had done so, and many of you may know this, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, and they had a call over their partners like, hey, James and John, get over here with your other boat because we have too many fish. And the fish filled both of the boats to the point of both of them sinking. And then when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Well, so were James and John. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. After the greatest catch of their life. After, like, this, this would be like winning the Super Bowl, okay? This would be like winning the Super Bowl and getting your Super Bowl ring and just taking it off and leaving it on the field. That's how big this was. Like, this was a big deal. After the greatest catch of their life, they left all of it there on the shore to go follow him. And what I think is so cool, remember how Jesus was a craftsman? These guys were fishermen. And when you think about being a fisherman, does anybody fish in here? Anybody like to reel and deal? Or, yeah. Okay. As a fisherman, what do you have to do with fish? You have to wait a lot, right? You have to wait around, wait for the fish to come, and then when they don't come, you reel it in, and you go back. Well, they had nets, and so they had to constantly cast out their nets over and over and over again, and they had to wait. This was perfectly preparing them to go fish for people someday. And all the waiting that Jesus made them do, what they were doing while fishing was preparing them for the the purpose that God had for them, their placement and position prepared them for their purpose. Do you know that God is using your, your position right now and your placement for, your, for the purpose that he has for you? Right where you're at, at this age, at this stage, he is preparing you for his purpose. And I think that a lot of disi the disciples were a lot like you guys. There's some funny stuff in the Bible that cracks me up because I'm like, that is like some of you. And we don't know the ages of the, the disciples. Like, it doesn't explicitly say. But I am saying to you that if you look at the word, they do some pretty, like, teenager-like stuff. Okay? So I don't, I don't know their age. But sometimes they have some useful tendencies. Like in Mark 10, if you look in Mark 10, the, the children are trying to come to Jesus and the disciples get annoyed. <laughs> They're like, get these little kids away. That doesn't sound like any of you. Um, but, but they did because they were getting annoyed. And Jesus is like, no, let them come to me. Or like when James and John, two of the disciples, had their mother go and talk to Jesus about if her boys could be at the right and the left hand of Jesus when he became king. That's about like you guys asking your mom to go ask your coach for playing time. Okay, It was happening with the disciples. Or when the disciples argued about who was going to be the best and the greatest, who was going to have the most followers. Or when Peter, James, and John fell asleep at the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus went out to pray and he told him to keep watch, I have never caught any of you sleeping during a sermon, praise the Lord. Keep that up, okay? Because on a Sunday morning, I've seen some, some old folk doze off, okay? Don't, don't fall in their footsteps. But despite all these things, there was this hunger 
in these disciples. There was this, this desire in them that Jesus saw, and I believe that Jesus sees that same desire and that same hunger in you. There was this faithfulness to these disciples despite all their flaws, despite, you know, the things that they had, they had to work through. There was this willingness to just be obedient as these disciples, and I believe that God sees that in you guys. He wants to use you just like he used those disciples, flaws and all, picked over and all. So my first question for you tonight, I have three. My first question for you is, will you let Jesus use your boat? Will you let Jesus use your boat? And what I mean by that is, will you let Jesus in on your weaknesses? Because if you think that Jesus just wants to use your strengths and everything that you are just crushing in life, you are wrong. He wants all the messy parts. He wants the dirty parts. He wants the parts that no one else wants. And too many people have this mindset that, that they have to be perfect for God to use them, that they got to clean up all of this stuff. It's actually the opposite. Because those that think that they're perfect and they only bring God their strengths, they're the ones who fall because they end up relying on themselves and not God. God wants to use what you think limits you. He wants you guys, you, this generation, you. He wants you to be his disciples. Because here's the deal, we're all disciples of something. Like you are a student of someone or something. So who are you learning more from, the word or the world? Jesus wants to call you. So will you let Jesus into your boat? Will you let him use your weaknesses? Will you allow him to use you right where you are at? Because I think some of you do not realize the giftings that you have. I think some of you don't realize the abilities that you have in this stage of your life right now. I am tired of people being sucked into this thinking that, like, oh, I have to just, you know, I just can't wait until I graduate high school and get into college. And I just can't wait until I graduate college and become an adult because then I can fulfill the God-given purpose that he has for me. No. In 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but set an example. Set an example for the believers in speech and conduct in love and faith and impurity. Guys, Jeff Anderson, he came here a couple weeks ago on a Sunday morning. And he got done preaching. And he came up to me and he said, I noticed the section of you students that you have. I, I noticed that there's some, there's some young students in that second service that come. He said, I really feel like God was, was telling me that those students, they're going to be raised up. And they may, they may not go into ministry, but, man, they're going to make an impact in the kingdom as businessmen and businesswomen and doing ordinary jobs. Like, I see that in the youth. And I'm telling you, I see it too. You know what I want to see? I want to see on a Sunday morning, I want to see us fill up an entire row of all youth. And I want you guys to set an example for everyone else in that room of what it looks like to praise the Lord of what it looks like to speak how God wants you to speak, act how God wants you to act, you guys can set that example. The word tells us that you can do it. So God's saying, I want to use your boat. I want to use what you have right here, right now. Here's some reasons why I believe that God really wants to use you right at this age and stage, okay? One reason why is because he created ages and stages. Jesus was a teenager. Did you know that? He knows all about your body odor. He knows all about your, your brain development. He knows all about your hormones, okay? He, he was a teenager. He gets you. He lived this life. He knows exactly what you're thinking, what, what, what you're going through. Another reason is that Jesus, when he was 12, they, they tell us a story in the Bible because they know that it's important that at this age when he was 12, he did something that impacted his future. And that was he came with his parents to Jerusalem. They were going to this festival. 
and his parents left, and they didn't know that they left their son behind. Has anybody ever been left somewhere, grocery store or anything? I'm so sorry. You aren't alone. The, the Savior of the world actually had that happen to him. And his parents, his parents went on, and they traveled for a whole entire day before they realized their son was gone. Like, what? The Savior of the world. You knew that, Mary, and you're going to leave your son behind. And then a day goes by. They finally realize that they travel a day again. They come back. And where do they find Jesus? In the temple courts. And he's talking to all the religious people, and he's asking questions, and he's giving answers, and they are just marveled. And it says that Mary treasured these things in her heart, the things that Jesus did at the age of 12 years old. And from that point, it says that he grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, he grew in favor with God and man. When he was 12 years old, the Bible, like in the Bible, it talks about when Jesus was 12 because it's important. Another reason why is he knows that you guys have a ton of questions right now. Like you have a ton of questions and, and you've also got issues. That's okay. But he wants you to seek out answers and seek out solutions to your issues coming to him and coming to his word. Church is not a place where you guys have to come and, and learn how to be perfect. That's not our goal. And I'm sorry if you've ever felt that way. Church is a place where you get to bring your imperfections and then meet someone who loves you anyway. Another reason why I think God wants to use you right now is that he knows that you are trying to figure out who you are. You guys are trying to figure out your identities right now. And he wants to be the one to tell you who you are because you're searching. He knows you're searching. And you may not know it, but what you're searching for is him. Another reason why is he knows that you're getting more independence. As you guys are getting older, you're getting more independence. Like mom and dad, you know, aren't, aren't tracking everywhere you go, maybe for some of you. But you're, you're getting more independence. And, and Jesus knows that, that he wants you to, to know that freedom that you have, but also whose authority you're under. That's really important for you to learn at this time. And then lastly, I think that he knows that you have incredible potential, and now is the time to develop those gifts. How silly would it be if you were super good at some sport? How silly would it be if Thomas, playing basketball, you guys know Thomas is pretty good at basketball, right? How silly would it be if Thomas never practiced, he never played in a game, he never dribbled a basketball one time until he hit his prime? That sounds so ridiculous, right? That sounds so dumb. Like, you need to practice and develop. Even if you're not at your peak, even if you're not at your prime, to get to that point, you need to develop your skills. So Jesus wants you to do that right now, right where you are at. So maybe you said, yep, okay, here, Jesus, use my boat. Here are my weaknesses. Take it all. Take everything. Here's what's going on at home. Here's that mistake that I made. Here's, here's something that I struggle with that I'm insecure about. I'm letting you in my life. Now what do I do as a disciple? Well, there's something that Peter did after this. This is my second question. Jesus tells Peter to cast out his nets. So my, my second question is, will you cast out the nets? Will you cast out the nets? Will you do what Jesus tells you to do? Will you do things that don't make sense to the world? Are you going to cast it out? Jesus told them, you're going to fish for people. That's what the, that, that symbolically was he was teaching them, you're, you're, you're not just catching fish here. This is training you for catching people, for bringing them into the truth, for telling them about me. But that probably meant when they're out catching fish, I'm sure there were some bad, gross-looking fish, right? That meant that when they were going out and they were casting their nets and they were trying to find people and tell them about Jesus, there was probably some people that they did not want to talk to. Like Matthew, he was one of the disciples. He was a tax collector. Everybody despised tax collectors. 
I'm sure Peter had some beef with Matthew. But yet Jesus was saying, hey, I need you to cast it out. I need you to deal with some people that you're not going to want to be around. In John 13, 34 through 35, we actually are told how other people are going to know if we are true disciples. This is the sign that we are actually true disciples. It's up on the screen. It says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So are you going to cast out your net even when they hurt you? Are you going to love others well? Are you going to do some, some heavy lifting and bring in those broken, messed up people into your boat? Will you help others when it interrupts your schedule? Will you love and pray for those who have hurt you in the worst way? Will you show up for a friend that is in crisis? Will you use words that build up instead of tear down? I will tell you that it is the worst thing when people turn their back on you. But it is the coolest thing when you can love them for what I know is. It is the worst thing when people say all kinds of mean things about you. But it is the coolest thing when someone brings their name up and you can say nothing but good things. Speak life when you're casting out your nets. You know, maybe some of you know that down the road, Peter, I'm with you. I casted out my net and I got you and I don't, I don't like you. Jesus loved him through it and he called him to more. Jesus spoke life over Peter. And yeah, there was some distance. There might be some distance with people that you don't want to deal with. It says in the Bible that when Jesus was, was going to be crucified, Peter followed at a distance. The people that hurt you, they may have some distance after a while, but you got to continue to love them and speak life over them just like Jesus did for Peter. That is what a true disciple does. People are going to fail you guys. It's going to happen. And we can't explain it, but you can't control the outcomes of people. You can only control your faithfulness. And a lot of people get stuck. I know I can get stuck this year. There's been times where I've gotten stuff going, God, I did all these things. Why aren't these circumstances changing? Why aren't these people changing? But get this. Jesus never told Peter, hey, go catch a lot of fish. He told Peter, let down the nets. Think about that. He didn't say go catch a lot of fish. He didn't say, hey, go focus on the outcome. Hey, go focus on the result. He said, let down the nets. Because God has the output. You control the input. The disciples modeled this, which leads me to my last point and question. And I'm going to invite the, the keyboard player up. Will you leave the fish is the last question. Will you leave the fish? In other words, are you willing to let some things go? Because after the greatest catch of their life, they left it all behind to follow Christ. That, that right there, that's giving God the results of your situation and your circumstance. So, it, it, you know, last week we talked about Christ being number one. And if you want Christ to be number one, you've got to learn to give him the results and the outcomes of things. Otherwise, you'll be disappointed and his, your priorities will get mixed up again. In Luke 14, 27, it says, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, they cannot be my disciple. What in the heck does that mean? To a person in that first century where Jesus is, is talking to them, the cross, like carrying your cross, it meant one thing and one thing only. Death. Being a disciple of Jesus is going to look like dying. 
And by that, I mean that you have to put some things to death. You've got to put the selfish things to death. You've got to put the sinful things to death. It looks like self-sacrificing like Jesus every day. That is what disciples are called to do. And I told you guys this a while ago. It was like maybe two months ago at this point. But I'm just going to bring it up again because it's powerful in our marriage. Tyler and I, we die every day for each other. Every day we die for each other. When, when you love someone, you sacrifice for them. And so Tyler and I have this line. We look at each other sometimes and we say, I die. If I give him the good blanket, I look at him and I say, I die. If he gets the last of the ice cream, I look at him and I say, I die. Because we know that when we sacrifice and we put things to death, that brings life in our marriage. And it's the exact same thing in our relationship with Christ. Our sinful and our selfish desires have to be put to death in order for there to be life. Because where there is death, there is life. Jesus promised us that and he delivered. And this Friday, three days from now, it's Good Friday. And it's when we recognize the day that they put Jesus up on the cross. They made him carry his cross and then get nailed to it. But we know that while Friday meant death, Sunday brought life. And Jesus beat death just like he said he was going to do. And so as disciples, we trust and have faith that putting some things to death here is going to lead to life. As a disciple, you have to know that. Jesus shows us that. And then get this, after 40 days, after 40 days, um, Jesus, Jesus was resurrected. So he, he died he was raised, and then 40 days, he, he came to his disciples and others, which was just, just baffling to think about how he literally beat death and then came down and visited his friends again. But in Acts 1-4, it says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, they're having a little snack, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, it's not for you to know the days, the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Remember those fishermen that we were talking about earlier that were disciples? Their ability to use their boats, to wait, to cast out their nets. And to leave their fish behind was about to come in handy. Because there was this thing that was happening at that time. When Jesus said, hey, I need you to wait, they went into this place called the upper room. And they were waiting, just like Jesus told them to do, just like those disciples knew how to do. Because of God, how God had prepared them as fishermen. And they were anticipating God to do something. Are you anticipating God to do something? Are you expecting him to do something? Are you praying like you are expecting something? Because in Acts 1.14, it says that they all joined together constantly in prayer. Do you guys know that in that upper room, there were only 120 disciples? That's about as many people that we have in this room right now. Only 120 people were disciples for the Messiah only 120, but 120, earnestly seeking God, earnestly praying together, earnestly believing in the mission that God had called them to led some pretty amazing things because you know what happened? The Holy Spirit came and it rested on them. And then that disciple with that dirty boat 
who denied Jesus, he stood up that next day and 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ. From 120 to 3,000, Jesus wants to do the same thing with all of you. He is calling you, this generation, to be his disciples. He didn't say to go make big money. He didn't say to go make big churches. He didn't say to make big ministries. He said, go make disciples. So have you let him into your boat? Have you casted out the nets? Have you left the fish? Because when you do that and you earnestly seek him and you earnestly expect him and you earnestly pray, amazing, amazing things can happen. I believe that there are people in this room who are going to bring hope in your hopeless household. I believe that there are people in this room who will break the chains of generational bondage. I believe that there are people in this room who will step out of the toxic cycle that everyone in their friend group is in. I believe there are people in this room who will stand up like Peter and proclaim the truth of the word even in the darkest of circumstances. So will you do it? Will you be a true disciple? Will you let him use your boat? Will you cast out the nets? Will you leave the fish? Let's pray together. God, call these students right now. Speak life and light into their darkness, Lord. God, I just pray that right now in this moment that these students would not be passive, that these students would not be ignorant, that these students would not miss out on what you want to do right here, right now, in this age, in this stage of life that they are in. God, I pray that you would touch hearts right now to set an example. I know there are some students in this room with hard circumstances, hard circumstances at home, hard circumstances in their families, hard circumstances at school with friends. But God, would you just ignite a fire in them right now to know that they can set an example. They can be your disciples just as you called them to do. I pray you speak life where there is death. And I pray that just as those 120 sat and waited in the upper room, that we would expect the Holy Spirit to rest in this place and on us at all times. That we would have students be bold and proclaim your truth, Lord. So God, we're just going to give you praise. And Lord, um, just ask that during this time of worship that if a student has made this decision to follow you, to be a true disciple of you, they would just they would just cry out to you, Lord, that they would just expect you to do something amazing in their life, knowing that you hold it, that you have the outcome, that you have the results, but that they just get to be faithful as a disciple. So speak to them during this worship songs, Lord, and um, we just pray that you move mightily in this room tonight. So in the name we pray, amen. All right, let's all stand and worship together. If you enjoyed today's message, I would encourage you to like it or share it on social media. Movement Youth for 6th through 12th graders meets on Wednesday nights, and the Point College Ministry meets on Sunday nights. We would love to have you join us. Thanks for tuning in.